You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Last year, Sammy Chester, with whom I share... Jerry and Fern, Chester's parents, and Avsenensky, with whom I share pretty, pretty good a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast, on their podcast, which was formerly known as 32 Fans Movies, but is now known as There Will Be Pod, started a tournament to determine the best sports movie of all time. And we wrap up bracket season here on 32 Fans with the conclusion of their tournament. Over 300 sports movies. They're down to the final 16. And on this week's episode, they get from 16 to 1 with the help of guests Will Leach and Cliff Corcoran. So have a listen here. And I hope you are enjoying your Passover slash Easter quarantine. On 32 Fans, we will be back with an all-new episode next week. While on the patron side, we will be having our finale of Survivor Amazon, featuring a special guest. Five seconds left in the game. Over. You believe in miracles? Yes! Yo, That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Wax on. Wax off. Feel the rhythm! Feel the rhyme! Get on up! It's bobsled time! Hello and welcome to the World Be Pod, the 32 Fans Podcast, where we discuss all things movies, past, present, and occasionally future. My name is Sammy Chester. And this is Avsenensky, here for the finale of our ultimate sports movie tournament of champions with 16 remaining movies. This episode marks the culmination of watching hundreds of sports movies over the past 10 months, hosting dozens of brackets for each sport, joined by expert guests from around the world, including the four prior episodes where we tackled the first two rounds of the 64 movie tournament with the Bombay, Bambino, Balboa, and Miyagi regions. As Av said, we've been fortunate to have some very special guests join us on this journey. Today we have two more, and Av, perhaps uh, you can introduce them. 
Yeah, returning to the podcast uh, from our previous Balboa bracket, uh, we have Cliff Corcoran. He's a baseball pundit and movie aficionado. His baseball expertise can be heard on or found on The Athletic, the MLB Network, and the Infinite Inning Podcast. And joining us for the first time is Will Leach, a contributing editor at New York Magazine, columnist at MLB.com, host of the Grierson and Leach movie podcast, and the founder of Deadspin. He previously has published a list together with Tim Grierson of his top 50 sports movies of all time. And welcome to the podcast, Will. I'm generally someone that writes about sports and movies. I generally don't like sports movies. I like really great sports movies, but it's not like a genre that I naturally gravitate to, which is always weird because people are always like, oh, what's your favorite sports movie? And it's always like, well, actually, my favorite movies are not about sports. My favorite sports are not about movies. But today, our peanut butter and our chocolate combined. <laughs> I like the thing you said at the end that your favorite sports are not about movies because perhaps we can dig into that a bit more. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me join Av in uh, welcoming you, and I think I'll join Av, it's safe to say, Av, in agreeing with what you said. Av and I, and Av's probably credit a bit more, are definitely sports fans and definitely movie fans. We started this 10 months ago, as Ab said, and now all of a sudden we're in this really weird time where sports have been shut down. What do you think the role, regardless of how much we really love them, is of sports movies during the, you know, the age of corona with no sports? Well, as, as somebody uh, who has been watching a lot of sports movies, both for this and because I'm also gonna start writing some uh, baseball movie uh, capsules and reviews for Baseball Prospectus as something to do during this time, um, I've found that the role of sports movies is to give us some sports to watch. <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of baseball DVDs, World Series DVDs and things like that. I don't find myself putting those in, but I, I've really enjoyed uh, for both of the podcasts that I've been on with you guys and also watching these some baseball films that I have seen before and some that I haven't uh, for the Baseball Prospectus Project. Uh, you know, yes, the problem be between sports and movies is that the great thing about sports is they're unscripted and you don't know what's going to happen. And in movies, even if you haven't seen it before, you feel like there's a limited number of ways things are going to go. Uh, so, but, but still, you know, having the sports movies to watch and perhaps even to relive you know, some of these movies that we have on here are about actual events and to relive those in a way that's a little bit deeper, the way that a, a film can do. Uh, I, I find that the role for sports movies is, is certainly greater, I think, in the absence of actual sports. Yeah, I, I would say that they're comfort food, right? Like the thing that I, I, I agree with is the idea that the, the, the thing that I love about sports and I love about movies is that they are unpredictable. I don't actually know what's going to happen yet. And that's what's weird about sports movies is for, you know, the the world of sports is so vast and, and there's so many different kinds of stories and happy stories and sad stories and, and uplifting stories and depressing stories, and all of the great things that can happen in sports. But for some reason, uh, there's some sort of formula for sports to take this great unpredictable thing and put it in some sort of package as if it is like a, a musical or, or something that it all has to, has to flow in a certain direction. So my favorite sports movies are actually the ones that aren't, uh, that, that, that don't follow that sort of pattern. But I have to say, like a lot of of the things before this before this whole experience that this beautiful experience we're all going through a lot of the things that i found tiresome or uh, or frustrating or, or or boring or something we've seen a million times are providing me great comfort now because they're all from the before time <laughs> and so and so i'm like oh look they high-fived I remember high fives and all of those things that, that come with that. Now, now things are bothering me a lot less. On each one of the sports episodes we had done, we always had a moment at the top where we asked the guest, what of that particular kind of sports movie is its distinct trope? So, you know, for instance, golf, it's slobs versus snobs. And, uh, you know, any, and each one sort of has its own element. Baseball, we'll talk a lot about today because of you guys. And also we have a lot of baseball finalists. 
has its sort of glorious America and, and the mythology. And I think the tropes of sports movies feed into that comfort uh, element today. And it, it's a plus. I mean, I think the tropes are one of the reasons maybe none of us love sports movies as movies, but I think they help during the age of Corona in terms of as a comfort food. Av, you and I think we've both been surprised though at the timing, because one thing to build on what everyone had said is we weren't picking to release this massive sports movie tournament at this time. And I think it's in some ways become all the more relevant, uh, which we wouldn't have predicted 10 months ago. Oh, I knew about coronavirus 10 months ago. I was going to say, why didn't you say something, man? <laughs> Seriously. Not that anyone would have listened, but like, yeah. thank you. I, you still should have said something. Well, our listenership tends to be uh, vast and uh, remarkable, but uh, mostly remarkable, less vast. But, uh, I yeah, think they would have listened. They just, I, I just mean if you would have told the, go, the, the government that, they, hey, just so you know, this tournament we're doing is going to end right around the time a massive pandemic is going to hit, they still wouldn't have believed you and so wouldn't have done it. Probably not. So that's, what, that's why we didn't bother it. We, try, we yeah. tried letting them know, but they were like, nah, fake news. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we, we, we focus on what we're good at. Maybe another quick question then before we get going. What are the three sports movies you would say are then most essential for the age of Corona? Not, not your favorite three all time. If you could only take three and then streaming would be cut off in your home, what are the three sports movies you would take to your Corona Desert Island? I don't know if I can name three, but I can give you a certain type of movie which would work. And yeah. frankly, it's, it touches to something that, that Cliff said earlier, which is I want something that makes me remember what sports were. And so anything that has a real stadium <laughs> in which the sports look, looks, look real, like I feel like on the whole, I don't generally care that much a lot of times real sports fans will get really upset about a sports movie but like that guy doesn't throw like that guy through that guy doesn't look like he's throwing a football in his life or or all the things that that didn't look like real football i tend to not care about that so much but i do like like for example the fact that major league for example is filmed at the at an ex, at the old stadium at the old baltimore stadium right it's, it's I think milwaukee it's like, Oh, sorry, Milwaukee, the old Milwaukee baseball stadium. Like, like that's a real baseball stadium, and there are real uniforms. I don't think Major League might not be one of my favorite sports movies. That's going to give away. But I would say that, like, right now, that's exactly the type of movie I want to see. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what it's like when 50,000 people go into, like, a building and all make a bunch of noise together. That tends to be where I want to go more than, like, an underdog story of someone overcoming obstacles because uh, I frankly don't believe any of those stories right now because there are a ton of obstacles that are not being overcome. So I'm less, I'm less more in, less into the underdog story and more into the actual uh, something that gives me the verisimilitude of an actual sporting experience. I'll, I'll build on what Will said in two ways. And one is that if, if that's the kind of movie that we value, one of the things I've kind of been noticing as we go through these films, because I've done now watched 32 of them between, well, actually, no, there's a little overlap. So it's 28 between the two rounds, that there are some movies that devote a tremendous amount of their running time to the big game. And if what Will's looking for, and I think I, I agree with that, you know, you kind of want to watch, you don't have sports, so you want to watch a movie that shows you sports, not necessarily, you know, the, the personal drama behind it. Miracle. And in, in this final uh, Sweet 16, uh, Bjorg versus McEnroe both devote something like uh, a quarter to a third of their running time to the, to the big match, the big game at the end. And then also maybe documentaries, not necessarily the ones that, again, deal, deal with off-the-field issues, but documentaries of great sporting accomplishments that really dig into and kind of give you the play-by-play literally in some cases you know some of the 30 for 30s maybe but maybe not but those sort of things you know i've got the collection of all the old world series films i don't watch football anymore it used to be my second favorite sport but those old super bowl highlight packages i used to love those and that sort of thing i think i would be i'd probably be binging now if i could stand to watch those guys take those hits anymore 
Yeah, and, and movies about American exceptionalism are not necessarily working no. as well they, <laughs> yeah. as they used to as well. It's also worth noting. Miracle put up a good fight, but uh, it lost out in the previous round to The Wrestler. If you've been listening, you know how this is going to work. It's head-to-head matchups, final 16 until we get a champion. Will and Cliff are lead judges. Av and I will clean up any tiebreakers along with Will Simon, our absentee third host who did send us his picks. So we're all covered in terms of tiebreakers. With that said, uh, I suggest we start in the Bambino region, give it the respect the great Bambino deserves, and go with our very first matchup. We'll start with our number one overall seed entering this tournament, Raging Bull, came out in 1980, versus Warrior, came out in 2011, boxing versus MMA. I will leave it at Raging Bull earned our number one overall seed after winning the boxing movie bracket and now faces Warrior, a movie that beat Ali and Murderball in Route to the Sweet 16, and a movie perhaps that, spoiler, Will did not even put into his top 50 movies in Vulture. Uh, Will, perhaps that's all the intro you need. Which one of these movies do you like and why? I have to say, Grish and I, you know, my friend Tim Grish and I, who I do the Grish and Least movie podcast with, we had a long discussion about Warrior. We are Warrior skeptics. Uh, I think that, like, I think the, the both of the actors are good. The Nick Nolte thing, it's always been baffling me that Nick Nolte got nominated for, for an Oscar uh, for that movie. He's basically... <laughs> the entire movie and like the to me the that movie is so much more interesting when it's not a sports movie that's a that's a theme as well for for some of my favorite sports movies is when they all of a sudden the movie stops it's like okay now it's time for a sports movie scene i find it less convincing and i and i i find both those actors good and i find their stories kind of good i tend to think the sports stuff works uh not as well whereas raging bull is one of the greatest movies i've ever seen and the sports movie the sports stuff in that to me that movie has always felt much more true to what not just sports are really like, but frankly, a lot of athletes are really like, and not always as, as cool and terrible as Jake LaMotta, but certainly so single focused and definitely not uh, uh, but, uh, the, the combination of both vain, uh, but also not necessarily uh having an understanding of how the world works <laughs> i think that sums up a lot of uh athletes frankly not not the majority but certainly a lot of them to get in that kind of mindset i always thought that, and to me the boxing scenes in that and that are i mean scorsese said he, he didn't want to do a boxing he didn't really care about sports and the idea of doing a boxing movie wasn't something that was interesting to him i think you can kind of tell because the 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 boxing scenes are not like any other boxing movie scenes we've seen more before or since they really are about the, the, the brutality of it and the ballet of it and the cruelty of it uh, in a way that uh, it's just, just, just kills me. I, I, to me, this is, uh, I can't imagine an easier call on the board than this. It's a Don't Meet Your Heroes movie, uh, which is an important sports narrative, an important sports element. As, as a Minnesota fan from Kirby Puckett to Adrian Peterson, mm. I've certainly been reminded of that enough times. Sounds like a solid Raging Bull vote. Cliff, which way are you going? I have similar feelings here. The Warrior, I had not seen before watching it for this. And um, again, I agree, you know, that the acting was good. There were some things I liked about it, but in general, I I didn't love the film. Um, I had some issues with it. I didn't totally believe some of the characters' actions matched their motivations. 
I was skeptical about particularly uh, Joel Edgerton's character doing, doing so well in the tournament, just in general. Of course, that comes up in a lot of these sports movies. If you, if you have an underdog win the tournament, you have to make him kind of believably an underdog first. The relationship between Tommy and his father took several weird turns that just totally took me out of the, out of the reality of the movie. It didn't make, you know, I, I did, just didn't believe the characters would have done some of the things they did. Uh, and I'm also kind of very anti-MMA. Uh, in general and i know that you know there there are sports that you don't have to like the sport to like the sports movie or to like that sport in that movie but i just find mma repulsive and and i couldn't i couldn't come around on it watching that film so again and i agree with everything uh will said about raging bull which i'm sure we'll talk about uh going forward because i imagine it will be going forward I, i vote for raging bull easily in this one cliff listeners may remember and i certainly remember i think you had said that you also a few years ago at least paused on professional football and I can't remember what you said about boxing, but uh, I guess maybe there's somewhat of a theme, which is you're willing to draw the line for your, of your interest in sports when it becomes too much about physically assaulting uh, the contestants. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was a, a big football fan. It was my second favorite sport. I played it in high school. But when the, all the concussion stuff, the CTE stuff started coming out, I, I, and I was a Giants fan, and I think it was on the way to their last Super Bowl, which was basically when I stopped watching football. They had a game against the 49ers where they targeted a player they knew had a concussion history. And one of the key game, uh, plays in that game was that they, they hit that guy hard. He fumbled the ball, suffered another concussion. And it just turned my we had then we had the whole like headhunting thing with the saints i think soon after that turned my yeah. stomach on that i quit the whole sport entirely boxing i never loved i like it in the movies but i was never a big boxing fan and you know something like mma there are lines in the movie if you did that on the street they'd lock you up and throw away the key or he could be killed if, you know i mean like that's not sports that's violence it's just pure violence and and it doesn't attract me at all I, so if you, you want to call me squeamish or whatever but you know there, there's a limit when i start seeing the guys i i grew up rooting for uh having just catastrophic effects of cte then i, I can't watch that sport anymore i think this is such a great matchup because i think both of these movies are have almost a similar core which is speaking to what you had said Clint, which is the, the violence at the core of sport and i would argue that i think violence is at the core of sport in a certain manner not to get too sociological and anthropological, but I think it's, it's, it's rooted there in sort of our basis for our interest in sport. Talk about, you know, go all the way back to gladiators and like, which is, you know, one of the ancient sports, so to speak. And, and Raging Bull, that's clearly there. I mean, that's, you know, what it's famous for, the angry violence of the, as, as Will was uh, saying so eloquently. And to me, that's obviously very much with Warrior. And Warrior, one of the things I really admire about it is, is that the two characters, one an ex-soldier dealing with PTSD, the other one a teacher dealing with crazy mortgage, which uh, housing, you know, finance has been a major theme over the last uh, 15 years plus going back to 2008. The two of them have to somewhat leave behind their civilized day-to-day -day existence and remove themselves like back to sort of some sort of brutal origin of man, literally like take their clothes off and go into this ring and resort to something almost barbaric. It gets at this sort of depraved darkness of sport, I think. And I've, I've seen a few interviews with uh, Gavin O'Connor, the, you know, probably certainly one of our most accomplished, I would say, uh, focused only on sports movie directors. And he, that is one of the things he was going for. Theme of the two brothers is his personal experience. Him and his brother sort of grew up with that element, though they weren't uh, fighters. So that's sort of a core thematic element of Warrior I have a lot of respect for. The acting, to me, knocks it out of the park. Nolte, I would agree, he's sort of playing curmudgeon that is himself, but he does it so well. And Warrior gets me on so many angles. And the other last thing I'll say to it is I think it gets sports movies also on so many angles because it gives time 
to the fan experience. You see multiple different kinds of fan of the sport and how they are from the, the school superintendent to his wife, to sort of some of the crazy MMA fans, to the guy who's hosting the entire event, who's played by the director, that hedge fund guy is actually the director of the movie. You see so many fan experiences, you see the MC, the announcer experience, you see the contestant experience, even the referee has a certain role. I think they blend together real life uh, athletes and actors really well. And I think therefore it touches, and this is something we mentioned on some of our previous uh, episodes where we discussed Warrior, Warrior embraces sports movie tropes so deeply and yet does so, I think, makes such a great movie out of them that I have respect for that. I have respect, even though I love Raging Bull, I have respect for a movie that really embraces the sports movie trope and uh, can make such a great movie out of it. So I'm going Warrior. That's going to make it 2-1. Yes, I think this is probably, for me, the toughest matchup of this entire 16 movie Sweet 16 that we're dealing with today. Because I would say, I think Warrior might be the movie that like I just was totally floored by the most out of all these like the first time I watched it it was my favorite movie of 2011 the year it came out whereas Raging Bull is just I've seen it I think twice in my life once in college and once last year when I did like a a Scorsese rewatch leading up to The Irishman and it also it's just like this completely visceral experience that you just are just totally floored by as you watch and I was going back and forth I actually wrote down Warrior as my vote before we started recording and I think I'm going to switch over to Raging Bull there's just Something about the way the scenes are, uh, the fight scenes are filmed in that movie that just remains permanently in my head. Like every time I think about the movie, and you just like see Robert De Niro taking those punches, and just like the way the ring like shrinks and then widens, and the camera just like floats around. Unbelievable filmmaking. You know, you know, you don't need me to say that. It's, you know, one of the most well-respected movies of all time, obviously for a reason. So I'm gonna switch over to to Raging Bull. Maybe I was uh, convinced by Will and Cliff. Raging Bull is gonna take it in a three to one vote. Cliff and Will, you guys have to be careful about your power of persuasion. Cliff's power <laughs> has been demonstrated in the past. Uh, it's tried to work its uh, it's tried to work its wiles on me, but clearly you guys already succeeded. I'll put it down now. Warrior is my number one sports movie of all time on my personal ranking. It obviously easily took the crown in my personal bracket I made. It hurts to see it go out. It really does. Both honest, of these were in like my top three. For the to be honest, part. I would have had it out in the first round. I would have actually picked <laughs> Ali over Warrior. To be honest with you, so yes. I love Ali, but uh, yeah, I know uh, Ali's a little controversial. Some people really don't get on board. But yeah, Ali is top three boxing for me. Oh, wow. Okay, so War- Raging Bull moves on. Warrior goes down. And uh, that's going to take us right to Field of Dreams. 1989, the, the heyday of baseball movies, versus Seven Days in Hell, 2015 tennis. Now, Field of Dreams was the runner-up in our baseball movies bracket, and it's going up against a tennis movie bracket buster that really no one saw coming. Seven Days in Hell overcame Black Stallion, Friday Night Lights, and again, like Warrior, it did not earn a mention in Will's uh, 50 movie ranking, alongside perhaps another tennis movie we'll get to soon. Cliff, you want to start this one off? Seven Days in Hell and Field of Dreams. I'm sure you'd seen both of these movies hundreds of times, right? Uh, I watched Seven Days in Hell for the first time for this. I have not gotten <laughs> around to it. That is fair. It- <laughs> but uh, it, I'm a little confused by its presence because it's not a movie. It's exactly a, it's a, that's why it wasn't on my list. It's not yeah, a movie. It's, it's, it's a TV movie. It's a 42 minute. It's basically an episode of documentary. Now it's a 42 minute funnier die sketch. It's not a feature. Um, I'm not quite sure what it's doing here. I got. It never I got, got a theatrical hand- release. It never got a theatrical release either. So it's 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 not a movie. 
I even you know, some things like I don't know behind the candelabra HBO movies like that maybe you know yeah, maybe, I'm not maybe. against that sort of thing entering a bracket like this but yeah no I got I got a handful of 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 legitimate laugh out loud moments out of it but otherwise I, it wasn't particularly taken with it overall it's out of its depth just in general it's it's in the wrong bracket Field of Dreams I know has its detractors I fell in love with that movie when I saw it as a teenager 12 13 or whatever when it came out have not seen it in about 30 years. And I was very curious. I rewatched it. And I, I certainly understand a lot of the criticisms people have it, but the movie still works for me. And I, I, I experienced it very differently, as you might imagine. Um, when I watched it as a kid, it was about the magic of baseball and all the things it purports to be about. When I watched it this time, it was about the ghosts that we kind of surround ourselves with, uh, particularly very individually, myself as a baseball writer and historian, you know, I, I feel like up in my office, I'm surrounded by these baseball ghosts. I've got, you know, uh, decades worth of baseball cards and throwback baseball caps and books and movies and just all this stuff. I'm constantly surrounding myself and immersing myself in these ghosts. And whatever your area of interest is, if it has any sort of his, his historical element to it, then you're doing that as well. And to me, it spoke to that. And also the idea of how much of the present do you kind of sacrifice in pursuit of digging into history and that kind of, there were a different kind of resonance for me. Again, I understand that it has its issues, but uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit despite that 30 year gap. So it's a very easy, easiest pick of the bracket probably for me. I'm a strong skeptic about the length of movies these days. Will, I don't know if you can uh, lean into that or you may disagree with me. I, I just find that when I grew up, at least my memory, I'm in my thirties now. My memory is that movies in the nineties that I watched, obviously kids movies, maybe it's just there were kids movies, were more in the 90 minute space. And today it seems like every movie I see is over two hours. And uh, therefore, I have no problem with the length of Seven Days in Hell. And to me, it simply hadn't seen it when it came out, watched it a few months ago for our tennis podcast, and laughed the entire time. And uh, I think that sort of explains how it got this far in the tournament so far. People just pop it in and have a great time with it. Will, which way you're going to go? Uh, listen, for the record, I think Seven Days in Hell is, is, in hell is very funny. <laughs> I do think that I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to be against that. You're right about movies being so long. Here's something on our Grish Unleashed podcast. We have a segment called the Reboot Segment where people, if they give us a review, we'll review whatever movie they was talking about. We did Raiders of the Lost Ark this week. Raiders of the Lost Ark is an, is an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> like now that movie would be two hours and 45 minutes. I guarantee you the next Indiana Jones movie is going to be totally bloated and huge if they ever make it. So, uh, yeah, so I definitely uh, am with you. Um, uh, you know, I still have the idea that of Roger Ebert's idea, which is uh, no great movie is too long and no bad movie is too short. So mm -hmm. I think there's something to that idea. Uh, but I think JFK is three hours and 15 minutes, and I think every minute is brilliant. And I'm going to watch that movie go on for, for five days. So, um, for me, uh, I'm actually a Field of Dreams skeptic, generally. I've always kind of felt that, like, if you're an old baseball movie fan, I think there are three types of fans. There are movie baseball movie fans. There are Field of Dreams fans. There are, there are Field of Dreams people, Bull Durham people, and Major League people. Uh, I am definitely a Bull Durham person. So I've always been a little skeptical of Field of Dreams, but I have found as I get older, the movie resonates with me uh, a little bit more than it used to. I found it a little bit too sugary, too uh, schmaltzy uh, uh, when I saw it when I was younger. I've warmed up to it a little bit. I'm still a Bull Durham person. The, the pick here is Field of Dreams while allotting that it's not my necessarily my type of baseball movie. It's Seven Days in Hell is very funny, but I still the pick here has got to be Field of Dreams. Fourth group, the natural, or people that pick the natural just off their rocker. I don't think they're off their rocker. I just don't. Th I think the natural is. It's not a good I, movie. The natural. 
Yeah, it, I think it has I don't, timeless I don't, moments, but it, it yeah, and I'm not sure it's as like I don't think Major League is a necessarily a good movie either, but it is a very likable movie that has clearly passed the test of time. Yeah, like people still like, and I'm not sure. I never hear people talk about the natural. Like I don't like I hear people talk about Roy Hobbs, and I hear people talking about the bat, but you never hear people like I think if you're a natural person, if you uh, you're probably a Field of Dreams. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, I think they probably go in that boat. Whereas, uh, and athletes, baseball players tend to be major league people. That's why, that's, that's why for years and years, Charlie Sheen inexplicably got like, so it was like best friends with players uh, all, all the time. Well, that and probably other reasons, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but for me, you know, I, I, so I'm a Bull Durham person. I can see movies pulling up set for me over Field of Dreams. As much as I like Seven Days in Hell, it is, it's a, it's a, the documentary now, uh, segment is exactly right uh and so i gotta go with i think sammy and anyone who's listened to this podcast once knows where i'm voting um like uh cliff i fell in love with field of dreams when i was a kid probably watched it 20 or 30 times since then and i absolutely love it every single time they are you know i understand all of the skepticism about it all the criticisms about it it's sappy it's cliche but you know what sometimes things are cliche for a reason and this movie just like swept me off my feet when I was a little kid and I just keep coming back to it over and over again. Last uh, James Earl Jones speech at the end gets me every time, even though it's mostly bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it works. It works. It's effective storytelling. It's effective movie making. And I love it. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. So to me, the I want to say, I think it's from Taiwan. This is sort of, you know, talk about what Will had said, things from before Corona. But there was that period like five years ago where some source of Asia was making these really ridiculous animated videos of news events. And they do that <laughs> yeah. in seven days in hell. Yeah. 
And uh, that certainly took me back to before Corona. I mean, I don't know what that was. It was like a phase. Maybe they're still making those videos. And <laughs> so I was the contrary and I voted for seven days in hell like I did for Warrior. Doesn't matter. Field of Dreams is moving on. And uh, I won't discuss my problems with Field of Dreams, but uh, Av knows them. Uh, and I think you guys alluded to them. Either way, we have... It's, it's in still the around. We can get to them. Yeah, so in the Elite Eight, Raging Bull, Field of Dreams. This might be an open and shut matchup because you guys seemed incredibly high on Raging Bull and you seem to have issues. Uh, maybe do you want to quickly vote first? Which way are you going to go? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like a, a brain versus heart matchup for me. Um, and I'll just go with my heart since I think my heart's going to get broken. And Raging Bull is a perfectly legitimate entry into the Final Four. But again, you know, this Field of Dreams is a story of fathers passing baseball down to their sons or parents to their children. There's no reason for it to be uh, unisex. He has um, a daughter in the film. Yeah, that's right. He's, in the film, he has a daughter, exactly. Yeah. It's just, you know, baseball just has this thing in the American spirit and American imagination that no other sport does. And I think Field of Dreams dreams just really taps into that the way past connects to the present and we romanticize these mythic figures from the 20s and 30s of the good old days even though anyone who does even like a cursory introspection of history knows that those were not the good old days and things have just gotten better and better for the most part other than the last few weeks goose is on the field they're trying to scare it off the field he's in cruise control now oh ran into the scoreboard down goes the goose oh the poor thing Okay, so Sammy, so, just to fill you in, I, I voted for Field of Dreams, and then Will went ahead and voted for Raging Bull, and now we're going to go over to Cliff. Please, yeah. Sorry. Do you want to set me up, Sam? Or do you no, wanna... it's, it's, it's all you. Please. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, Raging Bull I, is not a perfect movie. Um, I, I think it's a tremendous movie, and the filmmaking and the acting is borderline untouchable. But it's not a perfect film. I have some issues with it. I don't have enough issues with it to put it below Field of Dreams, which has far more issues than Raging Bull does. Um, but it's actually a little bit closer than you might expect coming from me. Um, and it's not just as a baseball fan. Uh, you know, Raging Bull is a movie about um, a, a, an abusive man. Um, and I understand that they do a great job of tying that in with his sport and its mentality. It's a portrait of this character. Um, but the turn then at, towards the end of the film into his kind of pathetic show business career. I mean, I understand how that kind of comes from a similar place in terms of a kind of pathetic desire uh, to be loved or an inability to feel love. So he's constantly trying to create ways to receive it. Um, but it, it, the turn doesn't totally work for me. Uh, you know, I, I understand that's part of his story. It's a true story. Um, there, I understand that there was some push on the part of the producers of the film to soften LaMotta, make him a little more sympathetic, and that the original script by uh, De Niro and Scorsese, and uh, you know there were a few other hands in there with Paul Schrader being the notable one, I think came down harder at the end, which you know probably didn't test well, or the producers thought it was sort of a bummer. Not that the film's not a giant bummer anyway, um, but I feel they soften him a little too much. Then they, 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 there's an effort almost to redeem him to some degree uh, where I find him an unredeemable character. So I think there's some issues with Raging Bull, but the filmmaking and the acting is just, it's so high above everything else in this bracket. And Field of Dreams has its own problems. So I, I am going to vote for Raging Bull. Yeah, Raging Bull, easy winner here. Um, even myself, who it's not a movie that I'm excited to rewatch when I have rewatched it. And to the extent I love it, I love it for De Niro's acting. 
making that and some of the filmmaking elements get me. Some of the other filming elements don't do it for me. There aren't that many scenes that I'm so excited to go on YouTube and rewatch, uh, which I think for sports movies kind of need. And one thing, I'll just jump on the very last thing you said, Cliff, which is I think particularly in a sports movie bracket, we won't always see the, the, so to speak, best quality movies win out because I think there's a lot of what Alvar's referring to maybe a bit with Field of Dreams. There's a lot of heart decisions. There's a lot of like, ah, shucks, that movie isn't really good, but like, I love me a funny baseball movie. Uh, you know, like what Will was saying about Major League, which we'll get to soon. And uh, therefore, I wouldn't be, I'm not trying to say, you know, <laughs> Raging Bull, you're in the final four, but don't get too comfortable. I think if you were doing a traditional movie bracket, you would ultimately end up going to just quality of filmmaking and that's not necessarily the case, I would argue, uh, in a sports movie bracket, which is why you know it lends itself to some uh, some surprises. But Raging Bull, welcome to the final four. Let's jump to the Miyagi region. Yep. Okay, so our first matchup is Sandlot, another baseball movie. Came out in 1993, same period of time. Versus Any Given Sunday, came out in the end of the 90s, a football movie, 1999. It's going to be a family favorite versus another controversial Oliver Stone movie. And when I say another, because I don't think there's been an uncontroversial Oliver Stone movie. They're talking about a head versus a heart movie. Uh, the Sandlot is one of those movies that uh, my, my, I, have a, I have an eight-year-old son now who's obsessed with baseball, and he loves The Sandlot more than I loved The Sandlot, actually, when I was a kid. He, uh, uh, he's now uh, obsessed with pickles. <laughs> and he's obsessed with getting in a pickle in a baseball game. So uh, there's something I think kind of universal about that movie, uh, though he has never played on a sandlot like all children uh, raised these <laughs> days. All of his games are incredibly organized and run by adults and therefore not nearly as much fun. Um, whereas any given Sunday, I actually wrote about this for Decider uh, a couple of years ago. I was iffy on any, any given Sunday when it came out. I think it's aged pretty well actually i feel like a lot of the things that it says about the nfl uh it which frankly it was saying before most uh journalists were saying about the nfl uh, even though it's not of course the nfl uh, in the movie they seem to be the same discussion topics we're uh, we're having now uh, there's a this is one of the this movie gets into concussions a ton it features an incredible performance by Lawrence Taylor, which is, which is still kind of baffling to me. That Lawrence Taylor is kind of great in this movie. Uh, that said, uh, there's a little bit too much. Uh, when, when we watch this movie, there's a lot of stuff that is really dumb. Uh, I actually really, uh, I, I, political, politics aside, I think James Woods has like a lot of power as an actor and this gave some great 80s performances. This is not one of those performances. And the, the whole Aaron Eckhart thing with him does not work as well. Uh, the whole doctor stuff is kind of dumb. Uh, I don't know why Oliver Stone decided to give him the role of the announcer in the movie, but it was a poor decision. This is a close one, but I'm slightly giving the edge to the Sandlot. This is your chance, Cliff. Let out the cannons on the Sandlot. <laughs> Well, I, I got to be honest, I didn't like one of these movies. I've not, not seen any given Sunday before, uh, before watching it for this. The Sandlot I watched about a year or two ago because all of you millennials told me to watch the darn thing. And um, not that I'm that much older than you. I think Will and I are roughly the same age. And, and I hated it so much that I vowed never to watch it again. But then because I wanted to give it fair, you know, fair chance, and I have a 10-year-old daughter who's getting into baseball, um, I watched it with her thinking maybe if I watched it through her eyes that I would like it more. And she's laughing at the funny parts and then pointing out all the plot holes and why this is stupid. And I'm like, oh, geez, all right. <laughs> and, and I liked it a little bit more the second time, 
but that's a very low bar to clear. The Sandlot to me is just, it's not a well-made film. It's not a good movie. It's not a, ter- it's enjoyable for the first half or so, but the, it's like sitcom level writing and plotting. And then once they get into the whole thing with the Babe Ruth ball and the beast behind the fence, it's like sub threes company level plotting where if just like some, one person didn't do something impossibly stupid. We could have skipped all that. And James Earl Jones character even goes at, points it out. Um, it, there's, I have so many problems with the, with the back end of the film that it, it blows up any ability to like the first half. Uh, I think it's terrible. Any Given Sunday is, I did not like either. I think it's just overstuffed, over loud, chaotic. Oh, it's, everyone it's, thinks it's overstuffed. I mean, it's the definition of an all over Yeah, I mean, it's, it's two hours and 30 minutes and it's like there's footage through the credits. There's no, like it, it's literally busting at the seams. It's, it's a mess, but I agree with Will that it's aged particularly well with regards to some of the issues it brings up, concussions and injury. The thing with James Woods and the doctor and, you know, just, just you know, stick him with a shot, something that he can play regardless of what it does to his body, long-term or even short-term, you know, forcing these guys to play in, in very dangerous conditions, racial issues with the sport in terms of exploitation of, of talent. And that gets back and they talk about the NCAA a little bit there, exploitation of amateurs, municipalities, they talk about the stadium thing and, and leveraging the mayor, uh, played by Clifton Davis making an appearance, um, you know, for stadium situations and effectively, effectively stealing taxpayer money. You know, even the grumpy old man stuff about football, I kind of agree with as somebody who, you know, basically I can't name a football player from the last 10 to 15 years, but I could name most of the quarterbacks from the mid 80s. I think that Any Given Sunday is a better film, like obviously a better film, as bad as it is. And it has a lot of interesting things to say. And there's actual real acting performances in there uh, from Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx. Oh, oh, Cliff, uh, you're just hurting me now. Sadlock, I li- look, Sadlock, I, they Sad- nail their characters. No, no. I don't know, I don't know who the terrible. actors are. The kids oh. are terrible. They're oh, bad. strong disagree. No, I'm sorry. The, the, two, the two kids, um, Ham and uh, whatever the kid with the glasses is, Squints, they're funny. They're legitimately funny, but the acting is terrible. Cliff, they do you waste- like... Can I ask you, do you like Stand By Me, the Rob Reiner movie? No, from hated the 90s? it. Okay, hated so that movie. I re-saw that to try to understand Sandlot better, and I hated Stand By Me. And it has actors who are considered like the best of the best right. future, you know, young actors, as compared to Sandlot, who has a bunch of nobodies, who are still nobodies. And I think the act, I think the kid actors in Sandlot are just wonderful in their roles, while I think, I think Stand By Me has all these like dream, you know, teenagers who are, who are nobodies in the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Stand By Me, to me, those two movies are one, one of a kind. They've got this kind of just sappy nostalgia. Except Sandlot is so good, and Stand By Me sucks. Uh, They're and, similar. And, and the ripoff of the whole um, Christmas Story Wonder Years thing doesn't work at all. The, the director decided to do his own voiceover as the, you know, the older version of the main character. Yeah. And he's got no heart, he's got no humor, he's got no, he's not warm. It's just totally like monotone garbage. Really, it's like an ABC Family level movie or like a Hallmark Channel level movie in terms of the production, maybe lower than that in terms of the production, the writing, the directing, everything. It's just, so, so it's let just me, not well done. So l- let me jump in because Mama didn't bore a fool and uh, I don't want you guys to influence off too much before he votes. Um, I'm a strong Sandlot stan. I think it captures the magic and the beauty of baseball, the scenes where the boy is biking off on July 4th with the fireworks going off in the sky. I mean, I've spoken about this before, but... I'm not, I, you know, the three of you guys are far bigger baseball fans than I am. Uh, you know, I did my little league. I watched the Minnesota Twins, and that's kind of where things go for me. But 
The Sandlot was one of my defining childhood movies, and I'll let nostalgia wash over as much as it should. I'll even say people, we've had a guest before who said, hey, Sam's going to vote for any running movie because I run marathons and I'm a big runner. That's not true. A lot of running movies I think are trash. My favorite running movie might be uh, The Sandlot. I would say the run that Benny the Jet does in the end was this sort of like defining movie run, much more than anything you can take from Tom Cruise as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) And so there are elements I love. I love... Maybe it's an 80s thing, but I, I, I mean, The Sandlot to me is the definitive narration at the end as to how the kids all grew up and like what they went off to do. And it, it was like playing Monopoly for me as a kid, that scene in terms of just thinking, how will my future be? And will I get with the, the, the head uh, lifeguard and, and build a mini mall or whatnot? And so there's so, I mean, there's so many elements, so many quotable elements. To me, The Sandlot stands up. I, I'm it's surprised your 10 year old seemed to be somewhat dismissive because um, I don't have any kids myself, but uh, the, the odd times I have watched it in summer camp and stuff with campers, uh, it's always worked really, really well. Firm vote for The Sandlot. We're at 2-1, so yeah. I was not a huge fan of Any Given Sunday. As you know, we said, it's, it's way too long. So many things, you know, the Al, Al Pacino is doing his classic, like, later stage Al Pacino, where he's just, like, yelling at everyone. It's just not a movie that I had much admiration for. The Sandlot is one of my favorite childhood sports movies. I think Cliff might have somehow been sending negative signs over to my house because I was trying to get my daughter to watch The Sandlot with me this past week because (laughs) in advance for this. And she's basically never not been willing to watch like any movie that I've told her, oh, this is a good movie. Let's watch it together. And for some reason, she just like became super stubborn about The Sandlot. She told me she thinks it looks stupid. She's not interested. And we we just watched Rookie of the Year last week. So like, it's not because it's sports. She's, you know, she's playing little league or she was until all sports stopped um, and she's interested in baseball and she just for some reason put her foot down and refused to watch the sandlot so i had to watch it on my own and it remains one of my favorite childhood sports movies it just taps into something about being a kid and nothing matters in the world other than playing baseball with your friends and dreaming about one day when you're going to grow up and get to play professional baseball and when you don't know yet how ridiculous that dream is and just like the camaraderie that they share and the sense of community that they build together. It's just, oh, it, so it really good. just, yeah, it just hits me in all the right places. So that's an easy vote for me on the Sandlot versus any given Sunday. So Sandlot is moving on. I have to say, because I've been holding off for the last four episodes, four regions, and I'll keep this just to pretty much one word, which is my top five favorite sports movies. One of them was missing from this entire bracket, and that's North Dallas 40. I absolutely adore that movie. Maybe I have a softness for Nick Nolte in uh, sports movies. I love North Dallas 40. I think it's the better version of any given Sunday. It was a sad day for me when it lost out in our football episode to remember the Titans that did not even make this bracket. North Dallas 40, I promise to give you some love. That's all you're going to get, I guess. Sandlot, moving on. Next matchup, baseball. Bull Durham, 1988 against Borg versus McEnroe, 2018. A tennis movie. Bull Durham was our ESPN's number one sports movie of all time when they did a ranking a few years ago with a lot of people chipping in. Borg vs. McEnroe was our number one tennis movie. So we have number ones versus number ones. Kevin Costner versus Shia LaBeouf. Will, you got to take us on your tale of why you dislike tennis movies. I don't dislike tennis movies. I don't you know. should, because if you don't like Borg vs. McEnroe, the rest of them suck. So, I mean, what yeah, else... I'll stand for Match Point. I know it's not popular to talk about Woody Allen these days, but Match Point's a good tennis movie. Match Point's a good movie. 
really not a sports movie, though. Not yeah, a sports uh, movie. Again, see, uh, this is this comes back to our definition between what a sports yeah. movie is. Me and, and, me and Sammy have been fighting about this for a year. Yeah, uh, but uh, either way, uh, Wimbledon is definitely bad. I think we can yeah. all agree that Wimbledon is bad. But uh, Wimbledon is so bad they canceled the actual Wimbledon this year because they're so <laughs> mad about that movie. Uh, to me, uh, I actually I think Borg versus McEnroe is fine. I think Ruth is fine. I think I kind of like Shia's uh, kind of uh, second act that he's having or third act or whatever act that he's on right now i kind of uh i think that's i, I get it I, I kind of see where he's going i thought his last movie honey boy was actually pretty good um but this is bull durham and for me the argument for bull durham uh, i'll get to make it again in a second uh hopefully is obviously a baseball movie the th- it does the thing i love about sports movies where it takes place in baseball and is slightly about baseball but it is not it doesn't exist solely because of baseball it uses baseball to tell a larger story and to kind of tie it into the larger lessons and it's so deeply felt obviously ron shelton had spent much time with my in minor league baseball it's the smart way uh, to think about baseball and uh, in a way that i like the uh the hazy soft focus sepia toned uh nostalgic baseball stuff as well but i don't but players don't actually think of baseball that way they think of it as uh getting drunk on the road and trying to pick up girls and uh and, um, and, and, and all the things that come with that. And it really feels, it's why I would argue that Everybody Wants Some should have been on this list. I think everyone, Everybody Wants Some is another great baseball movie for yeah. a similar type of reason. And, um, but to me, Bull Durham is wise about baseball, but it is wise about love. It's wise about literature. It's wise about human nature. To me, Bull Durham could be uh, about a lot of things and be a great movie. It just also happens to be, in addition to being a great movie, about one of my favorite things in the world, and that is baseball. So it's a pretty easy call for me. I think it's peak Kevin Costner, and I think if we yeah. ignore some of his later movies, it allows us to better appreciate Bull Durham. I think uh, some of what he's become for some people, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, I, I guess I'm a skeptic of Kevin Costner by this point. Um, so I think some of what he did afterwards. He had a little Bogart in him in this movie. I have to say, like, in this specific movie, he's got a little bit of Bogart to him, a little bit of the the anti-hero cynic kind of who ultimately does the heroic things in the end. I, I, I always thought he in no other stage of his career did he have any Bogart in him, but I thought he had a little Bogart in him. Bogart in Waterworld wouldn't have been Bogart enough. Yeah, yeah. The mailman, or the postman, he's also very Bogart in the postman. Yeah, it's the statue of himself. <laughs> yeah, solid boat, Bull Durham. Look, we five of our sixteen finalists were baseball movies, and you know we can only have so many baseball movies to begin with in this bracket in the in the sixty four uh, you know entire thing. So we, a lot of good baseball movies had to be left out. Probably the deepest sport, arguably up there with boxing. Uh, Bull Durham gets your vote, Cliff. Which way are you going for? Bull? I, I'm a Bull Durham guy as well. I had not seen Borg versus McEnroe before, and I really liked the film a lot. 80s tennis was another thing that I used, you know, I used to watch tennis in the 80s and I, I've kind of fallen off as baseball's consumed my entire sporting life. <laughs> but uh, so this, you know, and I'm from the tri-state area, the New York metropolitan area. My dad's, you know, Irish Catholic from Staten Island. You know, McEnroe has always been, it was fascinating to me. I didn't realize that this was a, a Scandinavian film. And so that McEnroe is the bad guy, you know, he's the, yeah. he's the other and, and that was kind of fascinating to see that kind of that twist around that way. Um, I, I thought it was, a, I really enjoyed the film a lot. I was, you know, white knuckling during the, uh, during the final match. It's good. It's very good, but it's not Bull Durham. Bull Durham is, you know, absolutely one of my favorites. And you, you got to do better than Borg versus Macro to beat it. 
we had, and I apologize if I'm messing his name, we had Chris Nashawadi, uh, the author mm-hmm. of a book on Caddyshack and just an all around like awesome movie critic. He joined us when we discussed tennis originally and he was educating myself and up because McEnroe is almost like Michael Jackson for me because I'm of that age. You know, I was born in the 80s, so I didn't really appreciate the 80s. McEnroe, to me, I don't appreciate his sports greatness because uh, I didn't, I'm not that old. And therefore, I saw a lot of tennis movies, and he's kind of, he's the Pele of tennis movies. You know, he's the guy who's in all the tennis movies because he's just so dynamic. And uh, this movie helped me appreciate him more, which is always great when a movie helps you appreciate a sport a bit more. Uh, which way are you going? Two up ball. Yeah, I'm going to make it a, a clean sweep uh, on there. Um, Borg versus McEnroe, I enjoyed. Um, it was interesting just to see, like, you know, the, the differences between their two styles and kind of how that matched up against each other, two people at the top of their game going head-to-head in a way that doesn't really happen in other sports. But Bull Durham is, you know, one of the best baseball movies. Crash Davis, one of the best sports movie characters there is. Bull Durham is so good that they remade it, like, 10 years later and called it Tin Cup and just switched out Susan Ferrandon for Rene Russo and hoped nobody would notice. Turns out people noticed because that movie was not good. And um, Happy Gilmore came out the same year and, uh, and ruined anything Tin Cup had going for it, I guess. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to that soon. Can we jump right then to the Elite Eight, of, And maybe you can give your pick, because it's going to be all baseball, so I think we should leave our two baseball uh, experts for a moment on the side. Sandlot, Bull Durham, Av, which way are you going? This is very close. I think, I think Bull Durham is probably a better movie, even though Sandlot has more of a, you know, a hold on my movie history and just like movie emotion but i think bull durham is better so i'm gonna vote for bull durham okay um a cliff is it okay if we skip you and just put down your vote for bull durham (laughs) yeah i apologize for starting (laughs) there (laughs) but yeah 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 you can go right ahead will we do need some baseball expertise on this all baseball matchup the first so far, Sandlot, Bull Durham. I have kind of begrudgingly picked the Sandlot last time. Bull Durham's a pretty easy, easy pick here. And, uh, you know, the things that Sandlot does well, Bull Durham does better. And Bull Durham does a lot of other things that the Sandlot doesn't even attempt and, uh, and does poorly. So it's, a, it's an easy pick as Bull Durham. Does anyone know Crash Davis's real first name? Is it listed? It's listed on Wikipedia as Lawrence. (laughs) I was just looking. I was like, it refers to him in every paragraph. It's just Crash. And I was like, does he have a real name? Uh, Apparently, it's Lawrence. But yeah. The Crash Davis. There was a real Crash Davis that that, uh, Ron Shelton had to get permission from to to use the name in the movie. I don't know if that guy's – I haven't looked it up. I don't know if that guy's name was Lawrence, and they just kept the full name or not. But I don't think it comes up in the film. Yeah. It's strange that he's as good as he is and never gets a chance to progress. Power hitting catcher. You think you'd get a shot at some point. Yeah, but I think there are people who, I mean, I, again, I'm the least baseball of the people here, but I think there are people who could be great in the minors because there's a certain minors level of play that they excel in. The dynamic, the, the, the travel, and, you know, just the competition. But they don't have what it takes to compete on the major, uh, in the majors. I, I, to me, that, that makes a lot of sense just from sort of how sports work. Yeah. The, a- the actual minor league home run record is nearly twice the one that Crash Davis sets in the movie. I think he's to like, 230 or something, and the real record is somewhere close to 450, but I think it's Mike Hessman or something like that. I mean, it happens. Some, you know, in baseball, we have a term called uh, uh, a quadruple-A talent, you know, a guy right. who's, who's going to kill it every time he goes down to triple-A, and then when he comes up to the majors, he just and, – and Crash talks about it in the bus scene – about the you know the hellacious sliders and all these pitches that you know it, it's just that the, the the leap in the quality of play is significant enough that there are some guys that fall in the gap and that's kind of one of the beautiful things about the film is that he's one of those guys who just kind of fell into that gap and you know he's and he's a baseball lifer and to me that the movie is really about it's like the religion of baseball you know you've mm-hmm. got you've got the young heathen who needs to be shown the way 
You've got, you know, uh, Susan Sarandon's character, Annie, is kind of the high priestess. She's the goddess. She is the baseball god. She's a muse, you know. She, although unlike Penny Lane in Almost Famous, she's a real person. Uh, and then, and then Kevin Costner is is a, a, a religious man, you know, in terms of baseball. You know, he's he's a he's a devoted guy. He has a crisis of faith at times. I think during the film. Uh, you know, and, and he doesn't understand why, despite all his piousness, God smiles on the heathens like Tim Robinson's character instead of him. And that's another beautiful aspect of the film. I, 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 it's a fantastic picture. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think Boulder might have had the best uh, script for any sports movie. But then I remember Kevin Costner talking about how much he, what is it, he respects the cocker, loves the pussy. Uh, I don't know if I'm quoting that exact, yes. but. Uh... What do you believe in there? Well, I believe in the soul, the cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft wet kisses that last three days good night oh my. annie calls him out later on that she calls yeah. him out she says you're full of shit yeah you know there's a scene there and he says well you're full of shit and they both are to a certain degree so the script yeah. calls itself out which yeah. i think is interesting when people quote that speech as actually not only indicative of the movie but even indicative of crash davis i don't think so i think the movie is actually much more skeptical of that speech than Crash Davis is, I would say. Bull Durham in the final four, along with Raging Bull. On the other side, we have, starting with the Bombay region, Chariots of Fire came out in 1981, the running movie. Hoop Dreams came out in 1984, sorry, 1994. And uh, not only a basketball movie, but perhaps, you know, an epic documentary. Roger Ebert's number one movie from the 90s, Chariots of Fire, we all know the song. I like Chariots of Fire. I've always thought it was a weird best picture pick. I feel like they kind of spoke to a little bit of a, of a, of a lull uh, that year. But Hoop Dreams is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> that is a definitive experience. Uh, I me, mean, I was in college. That movie is, of course, very much about the state of Illinois, where I am from. You mentioned Ebert. Not just did, was that Ebert's favorite movie of that year. Ebert and, to a lesser extent, Siskel, but both of them were, in fact, the champions of that movie to the point that Steve James, the director of the movie, uh, the other movie, excuse me, uh, was such a big part uh, uh, that he ended up making a documentary about Ebert uh, 20 years later. Uh, Hoop Dreams, to me, is uh, one of the most emotional film experiences I've ever had. I watch, It's one of those movies I watch every couple of years, every time I start feeling uh, down about the world, which is I should probably watch it here pretty soon, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I, the movie just tears me apart. Uh, uh, Chariots of Fire is a perfectly fine movie. But uh, there's not a lot of movies that are, that are going to be Hoop Dreams for me. Do we have any votes for Chariots of Fire? Or we're we all going to pile on Hoop Dreams? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I, 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 Chariots of Fire was in, in the air when I was a kid. The song and the imagery of them running on the beach and that kind of thing. But I never actually watched it until like a week or so ago. I didn't care for it too much, terribly, really. It's, it's a beautifully made film. It's very nice to look at. Um, but I found it very bloodless. I don't know why we should care about these guys. It's very, it's one of the most English films I've oh, yeah. ever seen. Deeply Queen and Country. 
deeply, deeply, yeah. deeply, deeply. And there's this, it's kind of like the, the, the fall of the British empire lurks just off screen through for the whole thing. And it's like, this is all irrelevant. These guys don't matter, you know? And, and I just found it very, like, I think again, bloodless kind of comes back uh, as just the, the way I felt about it and hoop dreams. I'm not as big a fan as Will. I, I'd only seen it once before I rewatched it for this. Absolutely love it. The fact that it feels scripted, not in the sense that it feels phony, but in the sense that it's just the beautiful the way the arcs of these two uh, uh, prospects, I guess you'd call them, the, the arcs of their lives and their careers, one goes up, the other goes down. You can see a reflection of that in Love and Basketball, which kind of you know, plays with that element of there's two characters and one's up and the other's down and then it switches and goes back. Just the fact that that happened in reality with their lives and just the, the depth of the filmmaking that, ha that happens over six or seven years, it's not even close. I would have given a vote to Chariots of Fire, but I'm very comfortable. I mean, Hoop Dreams is one of my favorite movies of all time. So e easy, e easy moving on. Baseball, Golf, Moneyball, 2011 versus Happy Gilmore, 1999. Maybe the nerdiest sports movie ever, but it has Brad Pitt, so it's okay versus probably peak Adam Sandler. Movies that fell by the wayside to these two on the way here include Rush, Slapshot, Uncut Gems, with its round one matchup against Happy Gilmore, and Creed. For me, this was the toughest, uh, the toughest part of the, of the bracket. Uh, wow. I love Moneyball. I do, I honestly, because I, I love Moneyball, and I have an intimate relationship with the subject matter. Uh, my career is part of that whole movie. Um, and, and also I worked in publishing around the time that the book came out and I had a proposal for a different book on essentially the same topic. I brought it into the acquisitions meeting and they said, I think Michael Lewis is doing something like that. So oh, I was, God. I, I, oh, yeah, him. Exactly. yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, that's my relationship with Moneyball goes that far back to, to its pre-publication and, you know, and, and then I went and Sports Illustrated sent me to watch a, an advanced screening of the film to write an article about it, which was then my, one of my editor's favorite pieces that I did for him. So I, I have, I am invested in Moneyball and I also like it as a film. It has its issues. There's a lot of history that it kind of smushes around and gets wrong. And I'm a big Philip Seymour Hoffman fan. And, but Happy Gilmore, I like, I mean, Happy Gilmore is kind of one of those movies that I was never a huge Adam Sandler fan necessarily, but a lot of my friends, my college roommate quoted the movie constantly. Whenever I'd get together with the guys, we'd, it, it seemed to just kind of magically appear on the TV. And I rewatched it uh, actually this morning. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, man, you know, I still really enjoy watching it. It's Adam Sandler's best film of the classic Adam Sandler films. It's dumb, but it's not too dumb. It's, you know, violent, but it's not too violent, I guess. We had listeners, we had listeners who said Happy Gilmore is the easy winner here. So I think it's, uh, it is a toss-up type match. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I am ultimately going to go with Moneyball, but it's, it's a squeaker for me. I think I, I enjoy them both a lot, but I don't think either one of them is great. I think Av is a Moneyball guy as well. I'm a Happy Gilmore guy. Will, you're going to have to decide for us. Uh, yeah, I, you should know that I'm actually very much a Moneyball skeptic, not the book. I think the book is brilliant. Uh, the movie, I think, tried to, again, to go back to this idea, it keeps trying to attach kind of sports movie ideas to a movie that I, uh, that I, I don't think has uh, really holds up. Uh, uh, should should be a sports movie sort of thing. I still if you remember the original version of this was going to be directed by Steven Soderbergh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was going to have like narration. It was going to be like very much more much wonkier 
than than this Moneyball is. I think Brad Pitt is great in this movie. I feel like he is. He he's one of the reasons the movie goes down so smoothly. But I don't love it. Also worth noting, I actually really could not stand early Adam Sandler. I kind of hate Billy Madison. I think I did not even like the Wedding Singer. I thought Waddy Waterboy was terrible. Little Nicky is literally one of the worst <laughs> movie experiences I've ever had in my life. And I love Happy Gilmore. <laughs> like to me, Happy Gilmore is this is the sweet spot. This is this is that mode of Sandler that I kind of love. We, I mean, I don't know how often people talk about Bob Barker in Happy Gilmore, but there's that a moment that Bob Barker does not make me laugh like a loon every single time he's in this movie. And uh, Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin oh, is course, so good. Of course. It's funny. So Chris, McDon- Chris McDonald is in uh, Requiem for a Dream, which is one of my favorite, which I would say favorite movies, but I think a particularly great <laughs> movie. And in that movie, it's so it feels like he's got a little Shooter McGavin vibe, McGavin vibe in that. It is a truly great kind of movie villain i actually don't find this that close i i'm definitely gonna go with happy two versus two so we're gonna have to go to our will simon vote that we have uh in the in the pocket is that fair because you're off you're just moneyball just want to make sure yeah no I, lo- I love happy gilmore too but moneyball um is a movie that i was also skeptic of it when i first saw it and i a lot of that is just because of a lot of the historical things that cliff touched on they just like seemed to really bother me when i watched it and like wasn't able to get past that and then when i was able to rewatch it again years later multiple times I was kind of able to just like put that out of my mind and just enjoy the movie and Aaron Sorkin's one of my favorite screenwriters there is and Brad Pitt's one of my favorite actors and um, the fans of this podcast know that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was my favorite movie of last year and this is the uh, I would say the spiritual prequel to that movie because it's all about Brad Pitt driving around in cars in yeah. California. So. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And uh, eating just the every junk food he can get his hands on. But that's just Brad Pitt in movies. Yeah. Um, so, so it's in a, in a close one. I'm, I'm going to vote for Moneyball. And Will Simon's vote is for Moneyball as well. Wow. Yeah. So I am, a, I think I've been on every losing side so far, pretty much every choice. Uh, but <laughs> it's good to know that we have enough baseball movies moving on in the, to, you know, perhaps the final four. But let's say, do it right away. Moneyball, Hoop Dreams. I think is it fair to say we can even just skip the discussion all of our saw on hoop dreams or does, is anyone going to make this, the slightest vote for Moneyball? I don't think it's close. I think it's hoop dreams easy. It wouldn't be close with Happy Gilmore, and I didn't think it was close between Happy Gilmore and Moneyball. So yeah, clearly yeah. Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams is uh, is one of the best there is. Hoop Dreams, welcome to the final four. Let's see who the last contestant is. The Balboa region, a region uh, that Cliff people may remember was our guest for the first. So uh, his uh, sentiment here is known on some of these. First matchup, Wrestler, 2008, a pro wrestling movie, has to be uh, distinguished, versus Undefeated, sort of the hoop dreams of football, a documentary came out in 2011. This, I would say, is the closest actually we have to an all-documentary face-off, since I think Wrestler is really just a Mickey Rourke uh, biopic in some sense. Three, three <laughs> out of the four here are, unless you think Major Leagues is a, uh, is a documentary. This is the documentary bracket. I think for Cleveland Indian fans, it might uh, take on a <laughs> documentary feel, but no. So yeah, wrestler undefeated. We know Cliff, myself, and Ob to some extent our sentiment here. So really just up to you, Will. I like uh, Undefeated. I don't consider it a particularly uh, great documentary. I feel like it's one of those documentaries that plays well with the crowd, but I don't know if it, it necessarily is my uh, my cup of tea. 50, 40 feet from stardom, whatever, 50 feet from stardom? 20. Is it one of the, 20, sorry, 20 feet from stardom is one of those documentaries. <laughs> However many feet it is. I, 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 it's all about, I'm all about social distancing. I can't figure out the time, <laughs> the, the space in between people anymore. Uh, I feel like that's the documentary that everybody loves and I feel like is 
fine. But there's like, there's so many other documentaries for there. To me, I'm an, I'm kind of an Aronofsky honk, to be honest, which is funny because I hate mother, which is, which is like, to me, which is basically pure unfettered Aronofsky. Yeah. In general, I, I like it when he's got a little bit of a run back. I actually love The Wrestler. It is Mickey Rourke, but it's also... It feels like Aronofsky after The Kingdom. That was a movie with, that he made with, uh, uh, what was the movie he made with uh, Hugh Jackman? Basically got him out of movie jail. The thing I kind of love about The Wrestler is not only, it's, it's about Mickey Rourke, but it's also about the idea of having regrets and making mistakes, but also still kind of staying true to yourself and who you are and what you believe in, even if it comes down to uh, your ultimate uh, detriment. And I've always kind of admired that about The Wrestler. Uh, the Wrestler is surprisingly emotional for me uh, every time I see the movie. I still, we put The Wrestler in our sports movie list. You should know I am not a professional wrestling person. I find it a disgrace that sports uh, that ESPN covers. A hundred percent. To be honest. hundred percent. So uh, I'm not sure they should cover MMA, but I'll give them that because, but I don't understand. Like, just because like people that like sports also like wrestling does not actually mean that wrestling should be on sports center. When, when people say WrestleMania, I think it was just this past weekend, when they say pro wrestling is still going on, they're like, oh, sports is still going on. I'm like, no, sports is not no, going on because no, pro wrestling is not sports, right. you know, unless you want to count like Azerbaijanian or Turkish uh, sports, which are going on. Uh, yeah, but uh, no American sports are still happening. Yeah, so, uh, but I will pick the wrestler here uh, uh, pretty easily. Okay, I think, is it fair to say, is wrestler going to get all our votes? It's moving on. It gets mine. Yep. Okay. I think easy. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it soon enough. Fair? Yep. Okay, great. So next is going to be Major League 1989, the year of baseball movies against Free Solo, another documentary, 2018. It's The Climbing Movie. I would say both of these, it's important to note, were the best of their respective sports in our previous baseball and climbing episodes. One movie can only have been made when it was, because that's when good baseball movies came out. And the other movie can only be made when it was, because I think it's fair to say... Free Solo shines because of what you can do in the last few years. I'm not sure if you could have filmed it in, uh, in, 2000, in 1989. If we were seeing all these movies in theaters, like we actually had like a New Beverly uh, movie theater where we were just showing old movies and, and we, we, we saw them on the screen and then voted, I feel like uh, uh, Free Solo would get my vote here. Um, I'm not crazy about Major League, but it is just undeniable how the, the how people still love that movie in a way that I've ultimately just kind of given up to a little bit. If we were showing the, the cinematic experience, I would go Free Solo, but we're watching all these things streaming. Free Solo is, I still think, a good movie, but is uh, it loses a little bit on the small screen. Whereas Major League, frankly, always felt a little bit like a pretty good baseball sitcom. And yeah. uh, I think it holds up pretty well in that regard. So I will hesitantly pick Major League here. A corona vote for Major League, it sounds. <laughs> will, we had a previous guest who insisted in the middle of the episode that we pause and together rewatch all 16 movies in his bracket, which we then, of course, <laughs> did. So I, for a moment there, I thought you were being like, guys, not only are we pausing to watch the rest of the movies, but we are going to a theater somehow and we're going to do so. <laughs> right like, put things on pause. We got 18 hours left. Uh, we'll catch you listeners in a moment. Uh, Major League gets a vote from Will Free Solo. Cliff has to share uh, his take on it. Sure, and, and, and actually to, to Will's point, Av, I think, saw this in IMAX. He saw Free Solo in IMAX, is that right? Yeah, I saw it in the IMAX Times yeah. Square Theater. And, and I watched it for the first time on my 
you know, my HD TV, but it's not a big TV necessarily. And I, I'm sure that that impacted our reactions to it respectively. Although, as I mentioned last time, I have a, I have a minor fear of heights, so I'm not sure I could have made it all the way through an IMAX version of Free Solo. My issue with Free Solo, as much as I could, given the matter, enjoyed it. But my issue is, it is the game film of an actual sporting event. And the, according to the rules of this tournament, you know, the guys said, we're not going to do the World Series films. We're not going to do those kind of like recap of a season type films. And to me, in the, in the climbing, uh, in climbing, what they do is they film their climbs uh, and produce documentaries about them. People watch them. They get, make the, the climbers popular. The climbers then get endorsements and those endorsements fund the next climb, which then gets filmed and the cycle goes back around again. So to me, this is basically the World Series film. The, the athletic accomplishment that Alex Honnold does, what he does free, free, uh, free soloing uh, El Capitan is the most remarkable human physical act I've ever seen. Um, and I, I still can't believe that he did it. I could hardly believe it when I was watching it. Um, you know, and, and on some level, that almost makes it unfair to measure up against you know, reenactments or fictional versions of sports. But to me, it does, the, the film around it is just okay. You know, and I can't give them full credit for the event because that's, a, that's the sport. You're actually, that's real footage of the sport. There is no other game footage. There was no broadcast. You know, that is, it's like showing game seven of the 1960 World Series and putting, you know, some interviews with the players around it. And you're like, well, okay, yeah, maybe that's the best baseball movie ever made because it's game seven of the 1960 World Series. But if you, you know, discount the fact you can't really count the game as a movie. And to me, yeah. this is counting the game as a movie. So, yeah. it, it, and also I, I, I love Major League. So I'm voting yeah. for Major League anyway. So my vote is free solo. And my brief retort to what uh, Cliff argues is, I think there's a rudimentary way to go about filming uh, climber videos. My wife's a big climber, so I'm familiar sort of with the world from her. Um, and if anything, both of us, while we love Free Solo, we're skeptical of Alex Honnold sort of as the movie legacy has made him out to be the best climber ever, which, you know, nerds of climbing will know isn't exactly accurate, which to be fair, Alex Honnold admits himself. Um, that said, I think movies, climbing movies that are filmed to the level that Free, Somo, Free Solo does are cinematic achievements. And therefore it almost flips it on its head and it becomes more like a cinematic performance than in some weird way an athletic performance. Because I think to respect the work that the filmmakers do in Free Solo, where they put themselves, how they put themselves, how they captured things, you know, how they had to look away at certain times because they just couldn't, didn't want to watch their friend die. Um, that's a cinematic achievement in what they do with the camera and, and the story they capture. Uh, so strong vote for me for Free Solo. Um, I will say TT3D, a movie that was in this bracket but did not advance, unfortunately, I did not see in 3D like it's supposed to be. That's an incredible sports documentary that I only wish I could have seen on, in IMAX. Uh, but, you know, I figured it, it's worth giving it a little bit of love. Av, you are a free solo guy or are you going with Major League? I'm going to give the edge to free solo. I'm, I love major league. I rewatched it with my wife the other night. Um, and just still, it still cracked me up. Just one of the best cast of characters, uh, of any of these, just, there's so many great players, great characters that just like, they're funny and they're on screen together, putting aside the, uh, stalker storyline that we talked a little bit about last time. Um, <laughs> Very, there's, I, there's even one scene where like he just kind of like appears in her apartment and it's not really clear how he even got into the building. She's um, not even there at the time, right? Yeah, in general, she has a weird yeah, building. Remember. It's like you walk in the front door of the apartment and then all of a sudden you're like in her yeah, living room. Yeah, he, he was just like upstairs all of a sudden. It was very strange. Yeah, it's a, it's um, a very strange house design. 
Yeah, and and I, I I definitely hear Cliff's argument about free solo, but for me, it was just one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Um, and it's it's just one that like I think about all the time. It's just you know, there's a few movies every year that just like stick with me, and Free Solo is one of those movies from the last decade. It's probably my favorite documentary of the 2010s. Um, it's Ooh. just moved me and just like impressed me in such a way that like I just I couldn't even believe when the movie was over that like it had been almost two hours or whatever it was it just like it just flew by I was just like totally transfixed and gripped in it for its entire duration and I actually haven't rewatched it since then so maybe uh maybe I shouldn't and I should just leave this you know idyllic version of Free Solo in my head forever. So Will's gonna go to break the the tension uh, Will's tiebreaker vote, Tubers 2, is going to be, sorry, Will Simon. Will Simon, our, our, our hidden, uh, perhaps imaginary host, uh, as far as sports movies are concerned, he's going to go for Free Solo. So Free Solo will advance. Will it advance, though, to face Hoop Dreams, who's waiting for it in a battle of all documentaries in the Final Four? We have to see, because we have Wrestler versus the Free Solo. Um, my vote is going to be Wrestler. That's one. How about you guys, Cliff and then Will? Uh, I've been voting against free solo. Yeah, since the very beginning. So that's two around. Yeah, that's two. That's two. How about you, uh, Will? I'm skeptical. I feel bad saying this because I'm voting for a sport that I do not consider a sport. Though I do, as this movie shows, it is a very impressive physical activity. I have no doubt about that. But I'm, uh, but nevertheless, I, I will also go with the wrestler. Okay, so uh, it's gonna it's gonna sweep everyone. I think at this point, out right. Yeah, wrestler for me as well. Okay. I, I, there's something fitting, though, I think, about a pro wrestling movie being one of our favorite sports movies, given that sports movies themselves, as we've all sort of admitted, aren't really, you know, at the level of what we would expect from movies. And, you know, they obviously aren't fully sport. So I think a movie that's about a fake sport <laughs> sort of nicely qualifies. Our final four, then, is all set up. Bull vs. Bull Durham on the left. Hoop Dreams vs. The Wrestler on the right. I think all four of these are very, very strong contestants. Obviously, in a, in a fair universe, Warrior would be here instead. But uh, what can you do? Just before we wrap this up and vote on our final four and our finale, quick question to both you guys. What sports movie character, not necessarily from the four left, not necessarily from the 64 in our tournament, but what's your sports movie character that you admire the most? I'm not sure if, if you can answer it, if it's the one you identify with the most, but uh, the one you admire the most. The, the one I want to be the most is Crash Davis. <laughs> I want to be very clear about that. I, 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 when I was a kid, that was all I wanted to be more than anyone in the world, particularly. And now that I've gotten older, I actually recognize his flaws a lot more, which actually makes me like him even more uh, as a character and, and as, a, as a creation. So uh, it's hard for me not to go with, uh, with Crash Davis. I was sure you were going to say Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler. Um, you know, and this is the only thing I like about The Wrestler, by the way. That movie is so matter-of-fact about steroid use. Like, yeah. like, like, I've always admired that as someone that does not think steroids or PEDs are some massive, terrible plague on sports. I've always admired how just matter of fact that movie is about steroid use. And probably because Mickey Rourke was using a ton of steroids when they were, when they were filming it. <laughs> but uh, I've always kind of admired that. 
to be fair, he did get to spend his life playing baseball, but a nomadic minor league existence is not necessarily the version I would want yeah, to sign up Yeah, and then for. you retire and you get Susan Sarandon. Well, 1989 Susan <laughs> Well, and, and who knows for how long, because he's got to go off to that managerial job, right? Yeah, so. and then she starts supporting Jill Klein, and it's just a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I can't quite go. I, I don't have – nobody jumps to mind. I mean, as a kid, I, everybody, I think everybody wanted to be Rocky, you know, because those were the movies that you'd go to the movie to, to, to see the latest uh, installment. And you'd come out shadow boxing, and I was never a big boxing fan, but the guy who, who came up from, from nothing to be the champ and that kind of thing. I, I, but I don't, you know, we talked earlier about the, um, with Raging Bull, the, the idea of, you know, the, the danger of having heroes and having uh, athletes as heroes. And that's, that's something that I, I'm cautious with, with my daughter, who's like I say, is getting into baseball and has her favorite player and all that sort of thing. And, and he seems like a decent guy as far as we know, but you know, I, I kind of want to pull the reins a little bit and be like, you know, you can be a fan of, of some of the things he does, but don't invest too much in the person, in any person that you don't know. As they say in your least favorite sports movie, The Sandlot. It's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid. Never go wrong. That line, oh, dude, be, be careful that, who you pick. That line is such gibberish. It means <laughs> nothing. Oh, hero, what is it? It's a heroes live forever, but legends never die. That means yeah. that's a meaningless drivel. <laughs> oh God! And that, and they say they repeat it with the echo in his head. Like, yeah, but it's a it's a baseball movie. You have to have ghosts in a baseball nothing. movie. You have, oh. to have, you have to have ghosts in a baseball movie. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I can't, I don't have a, I don't have a guy. I, yeah. I guess maybe Rocky. Maybe I wanted to be Rocky. I I'm was, not so sure that's the person you really want to be. I was so but, hoping you were going to go against type and pick Benny the Jet as your, uh, as your favorite. But uh, you, yeah, you did not surprise us that much. I that need to know more about his career. Best I can tell he's a pinch runner. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. The only correct answer to my question is actually James Hunt from Rush. I have a theory why women like racing drivers. It's not because they respect what we do, driving round and round in circles. Mostly they think that's pathetic, and they're probably right. It's our closeness to death. You see, the closer you are to death, the more alive you feel. The more alive you are, they can see that in you, they feel that in you. My name is James Hunt. My father is a stockbroker, my sister is a barrister, and my brother is an accountant. And I, well, I do this. It's a wonderful way to live. A lot of guys would probably have to say James Hunt is living the dream. He drives fast cars, he gets all the girls, even his rival sort of deeply admires him and obviously he wins the championship and then retires at the height of his game. So it's hard to beat James Hunt. I don't even like cars and I don't own a car. I think that's the only right answer, but uh... Uh, I don't know if you'll agree. We should just jump well, you, to the You all board. missed out on a really easy opportunity to cheat and say your favorite uh, sports movie character is Jackie Robinson, and that's who you most admire. Ooh, and I just watched the Jackie Robinson story the other day. <laughs> yeah, but that's if you've seen... Good, but, but then Jackie Robinson died young. He had a hard life. And if you've seen 42, yeah, it's 42 is just... You know, it's not a movie that you want to be made about yourself if you're going to be Jackie Robinson. Let's jump to the final. Start with Raging Bull, Bull Durham, Battle of Heavyweights. I think Raging Bull is a better movie. I love Bull Durham so much. I'm picking Bull Durham. Cliff. I, I have to, I, I feel exactly the same way. Raging Bulls is a better film, but Bull Durham is a very, very good film and I absolutely love it. And I, and I think it resonates fantastically. And by the way, we have not talked enough about 
the fact that I think Susan Sarandon is the main character of that film mm-hmm. and the, the best part of that film. Oh, for um, sure. So, I, I, yeah, absolutely, Bulldor. I mean, it's not absolute. It's, it's super close. This is one that I saw coming and was not eager to vote either way. But, but to, yeah, I'm going with Bulldor as well. In my bracket, it's a fighting movie versus a baseball movie, but it's Warrior versus the Sandlot. So uh, different, different world I'm living in. Uh, Bull Durham has my vote as well. So I think Bull Durham is going straight on. Yeah, it's in the finals. Okay. Bull Durham will go up against either Hoop Dreams or The Wrestler. To me, this is the real battle of titans. I think these two are both, uh, could both wear the crown. There are a lot of disagreements that I think we would have uh, going in the round of 32, the round of 16, all the way up to the, to the final matchup. But if you actually told me, we'll fill the bracket exactly how you want, my matchup, it would be the matchup that I hope we get here, which is Hoop Dreams against Bull Durham. Those are my two favorite sports movies of all time. For me, Hoop Dreams, uh, I, I got no, uh, I like the wrestler. And again, Aronofsky is my guy, except for Mother. But I, I, can't, no, I can't go against Hoop Dreams here. To me, easy vote for wrestler. Hoop Dreams is what inspired this entire tournament 10 months ago. I saw Hoop Dreams the first time and was like, we must do a sports movie year-long endeavor. So 300 movies have been watched thanks to Hoop Dreams. It is incredible. It's one of my favorite documentaries. But the wrestler does what is, I think it's difficult for Hoop Dreams to accomplish because Hoop Dreams is just so heavy and so long. And I, I could go back and rewatch wrestler forever. Wrestler gets my vote. It's 1-1 going to you, Cliff. I think the wrestler is a tremendous film, extremely resonant. Uh, but but Hoop Dreams, I think the Hoop Dreams surpasses it. Fact that you couldn't write a script that works as well. I mean, documentaries are documentaries, and they follow real life stories. But if you sat down to write a good Hollywood film and came up with what actually happens in Hoop Dreams, I think that you, you could you'd be you'd be up for the Oscar for screenwriting. And there's a lot of cinematic elements to Hoop Dreams as well. I uh, spoke up uh, supporting Undefeated in the previous bracket, and there's some things that I like a lot about that film, but it doesn't have that cinematic quality that Hoop Dreams has. There's There are shots in Hoop Dreams that, that speak for themselves in terms of larger metaphors and, and how they reflect on these players' lives. Hoop Dream is an amazingly well-made film and the fact that they were able to, to take the, you know, without having a script, without being able to, to plan their shots and to put this together, tremendous job by the editors, given how much footage they had over the many years. I think The Wrestler is an outstanding film. I think Hoop Dreams is just a bit better. This is really tough. Hoop Dreams is just so well made. Almost acts as kind of corollary to all of these movies where like you're imagining dreaming up this like sports fantasy and then Hoop Dreams kind of sets up the some way and then ends in the way that it, it, it really ends for most people who embark on this journey. And the way they use Isaiah Thomas, I, I think in, only in the early part of the movie, I don't know if he comes back later on, as this MacGuffin almost for these players of this mm-hmm. like, dream career that like they trick them into thinking is realistic. Anyone who follows sports knows, you know, for 99.9% of these high school and even frankly college athletes, like they're not becoming professional athletes. They have no, no real career to speak of. And journey that they get taken along in this film with these two guys and just see one heartbreak after another, it just, it really stays with you. So I think it's, I think Hoop Dreams has to get at the edge here. Okay, so Hoop Dreams is going to move on. I had Will's tiebreaker if necessary in the back pocket, but uh, you'll have to hear the bonus material later if you want to know which way he would have gone. Hoop Dreams moves on as Will had imagined when he agreed to join us. Hoop Dreams, Bulldorm, Bulldorm, Hoop Dreams, basketball, baseball. 
fighting for the finale. Do you guys know what tonight was supposed to be for March Madness? When they scheduled March Madness before Corona. You know what was happening tonight? It was a national championship. Exactly. Yeah, tonight was the finale of March Madness basketball. And tonight, right now, happening is the finale of our year-long endeavor, 300 movies. It all comes down to this. The movie that inspired it all who dreams, the movie that has inspired no shortage of young boys in Illinois and correct me if I'm wrong, Cliff, New Jersey or Atlanta? New Jersey. New okay. Jersey. <laughs> so, so arguably, I don't know, become a baseball lifers, but uh, Bull Durham, Hoop Dreams, Hoop Dreams, Bull Durham. Cliff, how about you start us off? Which way are you going? So Hoop Dreams versus The Wrestler is one matchup and Bull Durham kind of echoes it in a, in a certain way because The Wrestler and Bull Durham to me are both movies about people whose lives have become in, entwined with their sport to such a degree that they've become inseparable. Um, the Wrestler is a typical Darren Aronofsky vision, very dire and depressing. Um, I mean, it has elements of, of uplift, but Bull Durham to me is kind of the flip side of that. It's not celebratory entirely. Uh, there are notes of melancholy in it, but it, it strikes some of the same it resonates in the same way that, you know, Crash Davis and Mickey Rourke's character, uh, Randy the Ram, to me are very similar in that they just can't get away from this thing. Mm. Uh, their lives are, it, are it's, it's their religion, it's their life, it's their identity. Um, and I just, you know, Hoop Dreams to me was better than The Wrestler. Um, but I, and I think it's maybe ultimately as a film better than Bull Durham, because Bull Durham has some issues, even within the baseball stuff, despite the fact that Ron Shelton was turning double plays with Bobby Gritch in the minors. Uh, but, but I have to go both heart and to some degree, like I say, that, that those, the themes of Bull Durham and the wrestler are larger, uh, I think to some degree, because they really get into, uh, the life bond with a sport. And so for me, I'm actually going to go Bull Durham for the championship. Nice. Will, it's up to you. Like the national championship game in which the Illinois Fighting Illini would be winning right now, had that actually happened, uh, the movie that takes place largely in the state of Illinois and culminates in Champaign, Illinois, is my champion here. I love Bull Durham uh, so much, but Hoop Dreams, it's, it's I mean, if you, I, uh, we're going to do at the end of the year our 10 best movies of all time for Gerson and Leach. So I've been watching some of my favorite movies. Uh, it's just to, to make sure they still hold up. Uh, I saw Hoop Dreams about a month and a half ago, probably for like the 16th or 17th time, uh, for, which is hard for like a three hour movie. And, uh, Everything just, uh, as I get older, the movie seems to follow me. I love this movie so much. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. My biggest hoop dreams. Will, did I ping you perhaps right after you had seen it? And is that why you uh, were like, hey, I must go on your podcast? Today? It's honored to be asked. It's, I'm glad though, because you asked me pre-pandemic. And I liked shortly after the pandemic, you were like, hey, hey yeah, I hope you and your family are fine. You know, the other people. But uh, you're still going to do the podcast, right? And I was like, yes, of course, of course, of course. As long as I get a chance to hoop dreams. My family is all gone, but don't worry, because I'm here. I'm here for hoop dreams. Yeah. Okay. No, I figured like maybe I caught him as he was like sitting there rewatching hoop dreams, being like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And he was like, yes, someone give me an opportunity to speak about this. Hoop dreams has one vote, Bull Durham has another vote. Um, how about you? 
Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to jump on board with Hoop Dreams as well. Um as I just said a few moments ago, you know, it's just it's one of the best made documentaries ever. I know there was like a whole controversy around it with the Oscars. Any list of documentaries that you look at it's going to be on there and for good reason. You just get so attached to the this group of kids and you know, the two that they focus on in particular, but you just see like the different strings that they're all chasing thinking that like there's some dream that can be fulfilled if only their cards get played right and like as the audience you you have like this gut in your is pit in your gut the whole movie just knowing very likely how it's going to end for all of them um and it just it's it doesn't uh have too much melodrama it just kind of presents life as it is for these group of people and just takes you along on a journey with them and it's just incredibly well made and gets my vote as well Great. Okay. So that's two, one. I think I'll put it very well. Uh, Will Simon and I are communicating on social media right now and he said he's going to put his vote in for Bull Durham. So uh, we are going to have to go to the finals, which any, you know, finale game should. Uh, I'll keep it quick and say that Gavin O'Connor to me has, is is writing his name up there as one of the great sports movie directors. And I give him credit, Uh, obviously Miracle Warrior and uh, I haven't even seen it yet, so uh, the fact I can't remember the name is okay, I guess. The Way Back, it's good. The Way Back is good. The Way Back yeah, is definitely good. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it while watching so many sports movies. Um, so I figured I had to give it a little bit of air to breathe. Um, and yet Ron Shelton is, I mean, Ron Shelton is easily the number one sports movie director of all time. I think, is there any disagreement there? Not in terms of his accomplishments as a director plus sport. I mean, just if you look at a director's collection of sports movies, I think White Men Can't Jump, Bull Durham, and I'm blinking now Tin on Cup. it. Tin Cup, I should be blinking, I guess. <laughs> Tin Cup uh, was good. I like Tin Cup. You're, hard. You're too harsh on Fair. You know, I just hope no one takes romantic tips from uh, the movie. He's the reason to go Bull Durham. And yet, I'm- time after time, I've done my sentence, but committed no crime. And yet, I'm a Hoop Dreams guy. I'm a Hoop Dreams guy through and through. I won't elaborate because uh, Will and Av, Cliff, giving it the love it deserves. Hoop Dreams is the reason we got here. It's the reason we set off on this amazing, amazing journey of sports movie skeptics. And uh, it's ended up at the very, very top of the mountain. Hoop Dreams. We are the champions, my friends. Welcome to Position as the number one sports movie on their Will Be Pod. Uh, I think it's well-earned. I think it's a down great... down the net. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Will, you really, you got everything you were dreaming of. Illinois couldn't win the March Madness basketball, but it has won the March Madness of sports movies. And I think what, something actually Will had said gave me an extra appreciation for Hooper. He found it an uplifting movie almost, which... To me, the, the reason I voted in my own bracket against Hoop Dreams several rounds earlier, I didn't have it going this far whatsoever. And that's because I didn't think it was rewatchable sufficiently. I think, Will, you've convinced me otherwise. And therefore, you know, I watched it for the first time a, a handful of years ago. And then I decided, you know, I wanted to have all these fresh in my head. So I rewatched them all. And rewatching Hoop Dreams, yeah, the, the, the length, three hours, it, uh, can be a lot, especially when you've got a a 10-year-old you've got to put to bed and and not the world's largest house. I found it very enjoyable the second time around, and I can totally understand why why it's a movie that Will returns to repeatedly. I think that it does have uh, rewatchability. And, you know, having seen it just once, I don't know if I would have gone back without prompting, but having seen it twice, I'm anxious to see it again at some point. Yep, I will, out of respect, I will clearly watch it as our number one movie again. 
has rewatching some of these movies, I know Cliff particularly uh, joined us previously, so he saw a bunch there. He saw some of these. Will, obviously, you have that list that you and Tim had put together, so you've been doing some homework yourself. Av and I have seen about 300 of them over the last year. What would you guys say the single thing that you learned that you had forgotten from sports movies? What have they taught you? What have they gifted you? Before we say goodbye to them, because I think Av and I are never going to watch another sports movie again. Yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> trying one. <laughs> Uh, I, I will say that as someone that like spends a ton of time, I would say a, almost a majority of my time <laughs> either watching sports or watching movies. To me, I feel like I should give probably extra credit for a movie like A Hoop Dreams or like A Bull Durham or even like some of the movies on the list for overcoming that thing we kind of talked about. Like one of the reasons I have a hard time with Moneyball is I'm like, okay, that is not the way that season went. That is not mm-hmm. the way that, uh, like I, I, I love baseball so much and I know it so well that uh, anytime something rings wrong for me about baseball or about sports or about anything, it takes me out of the movie in a way that if it were a movie were about a topic I didn't know as well, it wouldn't take me out. So it's kind of, in many ways, sports movies have an extra bar to clear with me than maybe other movies don't. And it's made me appreciate the movies that get both things right. They get the movie part right and the sports right, because that's a really hard thing to do, particularly someone like me who, typically is resistant to sports movies. So uh, that's kind of what I learned is to appreciate that like I should respect a movie like Bull Durham, which I love obviously, but I've never thought of like, if you tell me my 25 favorite movies of all time, I don't know if Bull Durham would be on it, but maybe it should be on it. Maybe I should give it more chance, a chance for for it to be on. Of Cliff, any, any lasting lessons that sports movies have taught you? As somebody who, like I said, kind of rode in on the wave of Moneyball and, and kind of takes that, stat sheet fantasy baseball approach to the game sometimes not that i forget that the players are people sometimes intentionally don't view them that way the thing that sports movies does is you know no matter how much sports you watch you're gonna get those bull durham cliches pre and post game and not much else what sports movies do is they, they get behind the scenes and they show you the humanity of the participants whether they're fictional or, or or not and whether or not that portrayal is accurate or not part of why we love sports is the way they reflect on life certainly the the, the life baseball metaphor has probably been overdone but i think still works we know that sports resonate in that larger way but sometimes that can get lost in the wins and the losses have these films that show you how sports and life not only reflect each other, but intersect and resonate with one another. To me, that's the value of sports films. For me, it's it made me appreciate sports that uh, I otherwise never cared for. I mean, I never cared for pro wrestling. And uh, the wrestler, you know, I, I don't care for it at this point, to be fair, but the wrestler did make me more respect the, 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 the performers. And I just go down the list. Uh, I mean, it made me appreciate tennis more, motor racing, horse racing even. It made me appreciate a lot more. I saw some of the horse uh, racing movies. So uh, that's, for me, the lasting lesson. We kind of started this episode off, and I think we've probably said it a bunch of times throughout this uh, journey that, you know, we, we like sports and we like movies, but sports movies aren't always that good. They're formulaic and they're cliche and classic underdog story most of the time. And then the underdog wins in the last match in some epic last second heroics. And, you know, that's true. You know, we saw 300 of these. I would say the vast majority of them weren't that great, but... The best of the best of these are are phenomenal movies, and it was great to revisit some and to see some for the first time. Thank you, Sammy, for like forcing me to do this because you know, as you said, I don't think I'm going to watch another sports movie for like another year at least because <laughs> this has been a lot of uh, the same note over and over again. But you know, it was a it was a worthwhile journey, and we're thankful to both of our guests tonight and to all the guests who joined us along the way for making this so much fun. 
Well said. On that note, Cliff had this incredible summary of every sports movie ever by just sort of describing the tropes that they take you through. It's a, it's the bit from Cool Runnings, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, you took yourself back and he sort of told us the plot of every sports movie ever. And it, it, was, uh, it was an epic movement that needs like Rudy uh, or the Rudy soundtrack behind it. As it, as, it, as it culminates. It was a great moment in sports movie uh, fandom. But talking about our guests, where can listeners find you? What is the sort of exciting project perhaps you can share with them that you're working on now? At some point when baseball resumes, you can find me at The Athletic roughly once a month on the Infinite Inning podcast with Stephen Goldman. And as I said, I'm starting a new project, kind of a quarantine timeframe project over at Baseball Prospectus, also with Steve, where we're going through baseball movies, not the best, not all of them or just as many as we can kind of get into our eyeballs. We're, and I, I'm not sure it, exactly when the series is going to start. It might start around the time you guys post this because I've already turned in a couple uh, reviewing baseball movies. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be watching, I'm going to be continuing to watch sports movies quite a while. That's over at baseball prospectus. And of course on Twitter at Cliff Corcoran. Will. I have my weekly column for uh, New York Magazine. I was supposed to have a cover story about Kevin Durant. Uh, that was supposed to run two weeks ago, but uh, they decided to go with the coronavirus instead. <laughs> a little rude. For MLB.com, I'll be writing about, uh, I'm doing a weekly column about a year in baseball history and then uh, a weekly column about a baseball player that I always kind of loved and would like people to talk about more. Uh, this week, it's uh, uh, I talked about Wally Joyner last week and got an email from Wally Joyner thanking me for my piece and saying he read it to his grandchildren, which made me feel so old. Oh, <laughs> Wally Joyner had grandchildren that he could read the story about him too. Then I have a weekly newsletter uh, that's actually daily during kind of this crisis. I write an essay once a week and link to my stuff and my podcast, but I also soliciting stories about how kind of how people are going through this crisis and what's going on that I'm running every day. It's at williamfleach.substack.com. Listeners, check all that out. Really excited to follow your guys' next few projects. Obviously, some of the work you produced in the past, I've said at the very beginning, has had a big influence on a lot of sports movies, post-world fans. So thank you so much. Let's keep healthy and get back to the world of sports soon and the world of movies. Hey guys, be well. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. All the Thanks best. Dear Basketball. From the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the Great Western Forum, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you. A love so deep, I gave you my all. From my mind and body to my spirit and soul. As a six-year-old boy, deeply in love with you. I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And so I ran. I ran up and down every court after every loose ball for you. You asked for my hustle. I gave you my heart. Because it came with so much more. I played through the sweat and the hurt. Not because challenge called me. But because you called me. I did everything for you. 
Because that's what you do when someone makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel. You gave a six-year-old boy his Laker dream. And I'll always love you for it. But I can't love you obsessively for much longer. This season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding. My mind can handle the grind. But my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to let you go. I want you to know now so we both can savor every moment we have left together. The good and the bad. We have given each other all that we have. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock, ball in my hands. Five, four, three, two, Love you always, Kobe.